Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today we're going to be taking a closer look at what happened yesterday in the midterm election. Tonight, the good Lord and the people of Missouri have given us the victory. We've won. That, of course, is Attorney General Josh Hawley claiming victory after his election win over Senator Claire McCaskill, the big story after yesterday's vote. But there were other important stories as well. Joining me in studio, St. Louis Public Radio political reporters Joe Manis and Jason Rosenbaum. Also with us is Anita Mannion, a political scientist from the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Thank you all. I know everybody's very tired after a long day yesterday, but thanks for being with us. Just a little bit, but thank you, Don. <laughs> right. I'll put the same question to each of you. The answers may be very, very similar. Anita, I'll start with you as our newcomer. What's your takeaway from all that happened yesterday? Well, you know, my predict my prediction before the elections was both sides would declare victory, and I think that's true. Uh, I don't think there were major, huge upsets or surprises, but that really um, sort of what we thought would happen happened, which in this in this environment is a surprise, right? Yeah, <laughs> so sort of the predictions uh, vetted out. Jason, how about you? My takeaway is that Missouri Democrats are in a world of hurt. Uh, they don't have a particularly easy path to get out of the hole that they've dug for themselves, where they're getting around 20 percent of the vote in rural Missouri and statewide races, and they can't find a way to win competitive uh, suburbs and exurbs like Jefferson County and St. Charles County and in places like Buchanan County. And until they find a way to turn that around, it doesn't really matter who they put up as statewide candidates. They're not going to win. So I'm, I know that's very uh, emphatic and hyperbolic, but I'm sure Joe has some similar thoughts. Well, mine, my take's a little different. He and I talk, discussed this before. What you're looking at now is Missouri, where you've got two blue islands, really blue, in a Red Sea. And, I mean, if you look at— With Boone what, in the middle, by the way. Yeah, right. with, with Boone in the middle, the smaller—yeah, island— if you look at the totals yesterday, Claire McCaskill came out of uh, was St. Louis, St. Louis County, Kansas City, Jefferson County, I mean, not Jackson County, and Boone County with a margin of about 280,000 votes. Now, 10 years ago, that would have been enough to uh, take care of any loss in rural Missouri. I mean, Democrats always lost in rural Missouri, but now they're losing so badly in rural Missouri that it's not enough. She almost came close to matching uh, Jason Kander's uh, victories in those same counties in 2016, which is a presidential election year. Now, he lost as well. So the point being is that Democrats are going to have to figure out something. Now, I don't think I think a lot of their uh, activists would say it doesn't mean change your views, change your tactics. Um, I don't know what's true or what's not true, but I think that um, uh, the urban and close suburban wave like in st louis county i mean one of the unreported stories of the night or less reported stories ann wagner almost lost now granted there was other parts that she chose not to really go after her democratic opponent but there's no question that court van Ostern came within sixteen thousand votes and um of knocking her off in what had been a safe uh, district. So that's something I think the Democrats will be pondering. And he was an unabashed progressive. So I'm not saying that's the way to go. I'm just saying that that's going to be part of the Democratic discussion. Anita, what would the Democrats have to do to reclaim, reclaim, probably the wrong word, rural Missouri? 
Yeah, I, I think that's going to be a tough one. Um, and I agree with what Joe said. That was one of the things I've been talking about throughout this election cycle, that no one really had that District 2 uh race on their map. And that was a very competitive race. Um, as far as what they could do, you know, it's interesting what we saw with Prop A, right to work, that motivated folks. And so we see a disconnect, I think, with what had, we see shifting coalitions with what had been like a labor base for the Democratic Party in Missouri. And those folks are now voting for the Republican Party and aligned with President Trump in that administration. So I think it, it's a tough road forward for the Democrats in Missouri. What do you think, Jason? I, I think that the biggest problem in rural Missouri for the Democrats now is that voters are no longer able to differentiate between local candidates who might be more socially conservative on, on issues like abortion and gun control and the National Party. I mean, I, I went around Northeast Missouri last year, and admittedly, I didn't talk to everybody in Northeast Missouri, but I talked to a lot of politically connected people. And the, the common thing I heard from Republicans and Democrats was just a disconnect from the Democratic Party about what people are, want as far as what issues and, and, and also the, the national local dichotomy. You know, the Democratic Party in Missouri made a conscious effort to field lots of candidates this cycle. Missouri Democratic Party Chairman Stephen Weber worked tirelessly to make sure that House and Senate races were filled with, with a candidate and oftentimes well-funded. But as we saw with the results with no gains for the Democrats in either chamber, it, 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 voters just didn't seem to have a, a huge appetite to throw a lot of Republicans out of the legislature. I think that Missourians have very interesting voting decision-making habits, as I'm sure we're going to talk about with the ballot initiatives. And I, I just think that I think that there there has been a contention from some Democratic activists that their malaise in the state legislature has to do with, quote unquote, gerrymandering and the way that districts are drawn. I have contended for a long time that it's because political uh, sensibilities in rural Missouri have shifted away from the Democrats, and it's going to take a whole lot more than changing redistricting to bring them back into the fold. What are we going to get with Josh Hawley as senator, Joe? Well, I think there's no question. Okay, he has made he has been up front. He's a religious conservative. He made that clear last night. Um, he will be, I think, pressing some of his uh, views, let's say, on many legal issues. He is a staunch opponent of the Affordable Care Act. Now, the, because the Democrats took the House, I think some of the things that he would like to be a major player in maybe stymied a little bit because Pelosi's going to block some of that stuff. But I think that uh, he's definitely going to be a very close to Trump. Um, and Holly's expertise is really on legal issues. So I can imagine like he'll be a real strong advocate for more conservative judges, which he's been on the campaign trail about. As I said, he's been very upfront as far as his views on abortion and other stuff. And um, so I think it, people are going to see that play out. He was opposed to the minimum wage increase here. Um, he was opposed to getting rid of right to work. He's a fan of that. So whether or not that comes up on the national level, and that's been in, intriguing to me. You had these totals in um, August 2018 where you had a lot of rural Missourians vote to get rid of a right-to-work law that the state had. But then two months later, they're electing somebody who totally disagreed with them on it. But it was because of other issues. And that's, I think, the point that yeah. Jason's trying to make. Democrats can't just change their views in order to do that because then they're going to alienate this huge 
uh, progressive growing cr- progressive base in the urban areas. The problem is that growing progressive base isn't enough to counter the more conservative base in rural Missouri. Let's get a little more sense of uh, where Josh Hawley has been coming from. We'll play a clip uh, from his uh, statement last night when he was claiming victory. Here's Josh Hawley, uh, the uh, senator-elect from the state of Missouri. You know, I have to say this, though. As I, as I travel around the state, we've heard a lot about how divided the country is and how divided the state is. And I just have to say, as Aaron and I have been all over this state, I don't know that that's really true because as we've gone from – Every corner of the state, from the boot heel to southwest Missouri to northwest to central Missouri, we have found a place that is a people that are incredibly united in the things that we hold most dear. This election has been about our way of life. It's been about the heartland way of life. It's been about the way of life that built this country, the way of life that sustains this state, a way of life built around our churches and our faith, our families, our neighborhoods, and our schools. And I said from the very beginning, that this was about defending our way of life. It was about renewing it for a new day. And tonight, the people of Missouri said, we believe in that way of life. We believe it's not the past, it's the future. It's not, it doesn't represent something that has gone forever. It represents the best of America. And tonight, the people of Missouri have said that our way of life and our values are going to renew this country. And that is what we are about. And that is what we are for. And that's what this race has been for. Missouri Senator-elect Josh Hawley. Anita Mannion, uh, is he going to be a star in Washington? I think that's likely, but I I would like to go back to uh, some of the things that he said there about Missouri not being divided. And um, he said he's been all over the state, but he wasn't really doing rallies in that 270 Mm -hmm. corridor. Um, He was invited to come to UMSL, and, you know, he didn't attend. So I suspect the the Missouri that he was encountering was united, but Missouri as a whole is divided. There's a large rural-urban divide. Um, And also, he has aligned himself. He's been a darling of the National Party. So like Jason said, he um, really tried to associate national politics very successfully with what's happening in Missouri. So one of his most spoken lines in the debate that was held here was that Claire McCaskill is a party line liberal. Um, and her voting record doesn't show that. But but to associate her with Nancy Pelosi and with the, the um, you know, Washington Democrats. And then he has had support from the, you know, establishment, President Trump coming here, Mike Pence coming here. So I definitely think they see him as someone who's upwardly mobile in, in his party. Jason? It's, it's not just that it's a rural-urban divide that's divided. We are in St. Louis area. We're just four years removed from Michael Brown's shooting death. And even four years later, there hasn't been a huge amount of policy trajectory forward uh, on a state or a federal level when it comes to Uh, building kind of the trust between African-Americans and law enforcement. And, um, you know, I, Claire McCaskill is a former prosecutor, Jackson County prosecutor. She was allied for a long time with soon to be former St. Louis County prosecutor, Bob McCullough this year, though, that the person that feed him, Wesley Bell cut ads with, with her to try to emphasize a new way forward on quote unquote criminal justice reform. And, you know, it was interesting to me that we're four years removed from Ferguson. There was all this talk about using that horrible experience to try to, to change public policy. And it was barely an issue in the Senate race. It wasn't really even an issue in the 2016 governor's race where they would have had a bigger role in that. So maybe this could be an opportunity for Josh Hawley if he really wants to unite a fractious state. Maybe, maybe taking the lead on that, given that there is some conservative interest 
um, in in that particular issue. I think that and this is going to be somewhat controversial to say, but I don't think he necessarily means it that way. But when Josh Hawley says our way of life, you know what that sounds like? The white way of life, the way white people have done things, the way um, not just rural, but rural conservative the white way of life. He may not mean it that way, but I, but I think many listeners, especially African-American listeners who I talk to, that's how they interpret it. So I think it's going to be interesting because he did virtually no campaigning inside the 270 um, circle. Oh, yep. And But as it turned out, he didn't need to. So the issue is, is he just going to be speaking to that part of the state that he traveled in extensively? Or will he be reaching out to the part of the state where he did not reach out. I mean, some of the African-American legislators were very upfront on Twitter that they never saw him at anything um, where there was African-American audiences. Now, will he then now reach out or will he not? I think there's this uh, racial perspective, I mean, to this whole contest that I'm not saying that's what he was pushing. I'm saying that's the way some interpreted it. But there has been a lot of dog whistling going on during the course of this campaign all over the country. And uh, people, I think, uh, uh, can interpret it that way. I think right. Can. When he says our past is not our past, it's our future, yeah. our past wasn't so great for all Missourians. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that pointed out very clearly after the Brown shooting. That's right. Yeah. We have to take a break. We'll do that now, come back and continue the conversation. We'll hear from Claire McCaskill and others. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University offering world-class education within reach. And welcome back as we continue our conversation on the outcome of yesterday's midterm election. I'd like to play a clip of Claire, from Claire McCaskill's uh, concession speech last night, and then we'll uh, talk about that when we come back. Here's Claire McCaskill. So many times the experts said uh, we couldn't win, and because of the people of Missouri, we did. So I want to thank, from the bottom of my heart, um, and also I want to wish Josh Hawley well. I called him in and congratulated him. But I, I really want to thank the people of Missouri for giving me the opportunity to serve Uh, For as long as I have, I feel good about that service. I think I have made a difference at key moments in key ways. That's Claire McCaskill and her concession speech last night. Joe, she visited, uh, I think, every county in the state and spent a lot of time in rural Missouri. We've we've already discussed that. And I may have asked you this question last night. Did, Did she lose or did Donald Trump win? Well, I think it depends on how you look at it. I think there's no question that Donald Trump contributed to Hawley's victory. I don't think Donald Trump provided six percentage points. I think um, there are some of the things that we've just discussed. Maybe, many of us had thought he might win, but that it would be within two or three percentage points. So I think Trump's uh, visits definitely energized some of the base. But that said, I think that um, Trump's philosophy, how he approaches things, is something that really appeals to, especially to uh, rural voters, older rural voters, especially um, men who are over 50, um, who feel 
maybe upset about how things have turned out. Our economy has been kind of a mess and for some segments of the country for several decades, since the 1980s. So I think the they're hoping that um, Trump can improve that. And I think they're hope they're sending by sending Holly there. They're hoping Holly can help him on that. But while Holly talked a little bit about economic issues during his campaign, that was not his chief focus. In regard to what you just said, we reached out to our listeners over Twitter uh, during the course of the day and asking how they are feeling about the overall direction of the region after yesterday's election. We've had 31 respondents, not a lot, but it's interesting the way they responded. 13% say they are hopeful or excited after the outcome yesterday. 32% say they are uncertain or ambivalent. 55% say they are concerned or worried. Mm. Anita, what do you think of that? You know, this was one of my concerns coming out of yesterday, not just Missouri's election, but the broader election. One thing that was really exciting to me is the big voter turnout. Um, you know, I want to see people civically engaged. I want to see people engaging in civil discourse. And so that voter turnout is great. But I had a concern that I think the expectations were really high for some particularly young people and first time people engaging in the process, progressives. And I think that even though nationally, elections kind of went as predicted yesterday, their hopes were a little dashed and they're feeling fairly disappointed today, even though even as a progressive uh, person working, you know, you should have some victories today to walk away with. But I think some of those big races, the O'Rourke, the Gillens, the Abrams, the McCaskill didn't go the way they wanted. And I think they're feeling a little deflated. Even locally, like I, I noticed a lot of excitement on Twitter about seeing high turnout in places like St. Louis City and St. Louis County. Um, What I don't think people, I mean younger people especially, that don't travel a lot outside of the the media metro area quite understand is St. Louis is not indicative of the rest of the state. I mean, first of all, rural Missouri has immense poverty, just as, you know, St. Louis has immense poverty that is actually very similar. but I think it also has just different political sensibilities, and oftentimes religion plays an outsized role in a lot of reli- in a lot of rural communities, and also some exurban communities like St. Charles and Jefferson County. And that's true. That's true all over the country. It's obviously. true all over the country, yeah. and I think that I, I certainly understand the, the the motivation and the energy in St. Louis because they're upset about what's happening in Washington, D.C., and they they are repelled often by what President Trump says and does. But not everybody else in Missouri feels that way. And I always thought that if President Trump's approval ratings were hovering around 50 percent or over in Missouri, which they did up until the end, um, that Holly was going to have an advantage. And I do give a lot of credit to President Trump's continued popularity for the reason Josh Holly will be going to the U.S. Senate. Let, let, before you start, Joe, let's take a listen to a, 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 an official White House version of what happened yesterday, a little bit snarky, I think, from uh, Kellyanne Conway. Uh, we're grateful to Five on Your Side for providing this audio for us, but here she is. The president has put everybody in a great position to talk about this historic economy. And there are a number of candidates who seemed allergic to the president on the Republican side. They didn't want him to campaign for them. They lost last night. You had people like Claire McCaskill pretending that she works with the president, saying, I'm not, quote, one of those crazy Democrats. Mm -hmm. She also this morning is not even one of those elected Democrats. 
Kellyanne Conway speaking on the lawn of the White House. That audio, by the way, from Fox and Friends, not five on your side. Joe Maddish, you're rolling your eyes when you listen to that. <laughs> no, no, well, I don't mean it badly. Kellyanne Conway is a great communicator for the president. In fact, she's one of the better communicators for the president. I've actually met her uh, a couple of years ago. But I think that one of the points, and I mentioned it before, is that while the economy was probably Trump's strongest suit, it wasn't, I'm not sure that that moved that many people um, at the polls, at least in Missouri. It was other stuff. I mean, when you listen to his speeches that he gave Thursday and Monday in Missouri, uh, he wasn't focusing that much on the economy compared to his focus on Im- immigration, which may be a hot issue in parts of rural Missouri, even though Missouri, compared to most other states, doesn't have the huge immigrant populations, especially Hispanic. Um, so I think, you know, he was pushing some of these other hot button issues in part because he even said that he thought that women voters in particular were very sensitive to personal threats, that they wanted to feel safe. He was kind of echoing the Bush uh, focus in the tw- 2002 election after 9-11. And I, I thought, which that made me think about that at the time. So he was focusing on other issues not the economy. And, and a point that I always make is the fact that Missouri has such a small Latino Hispanic population, especially compared to a state like Illinois. It gives candidates, frankly, of both parties the ability to run to the right on that issue. Not just Claire McCaskill, but I bring up the example of Chris Coster, who, as a Republican state senator, had legislation drafted for him by Chris Kobach, who lost the Kansas governorship race in 2007. I was at that press conference. I had no idea who Chris Kobach was. He never repudiated any of his views on immigration when he became a Democrat. And he actually was opposed to, you know, the Syrian refugee situation when he was running for governor. No, we're talking about Coster. We're talking about Coster. Just as McCaskill kind of tried to move to the right on that issue, I think candidates on both Republican and Democratic side can do that because you know, they don't they, they, they don't stand as much of a risk of alienating Latino or Hispanic voters as, say, a Republican in Illinois running statewide. So now one thing I want to say, I think that one of the reasons that that Trump is successful with this stuff is because he really believes it. He comes across as being very genuine. And I think some candidates who think they can shift slightly to the right or the left on something, I think it's one of the reasons uh, McCaskill got hit by some Democrats who were upset over appearance on Fox, because they thought that some of the comments she was making were not her. It was less than what she said than the fact that she was saying it, because they were like, this doesn't really believe that. And I think that that happens to both sides. When candidates try to express views that people feel aren't really them or come across as not really them, I think that hurts them. I think it's one of the reasons Beto O'Rourke did so well in Texas. He lost, but he came close with a very progressive message. Why? Because people knew he believed it. Whether or not they agreed with him, they they knew he believed it. Also, he was running against Ted Cruz, who (laughs) a lot of people don't like. (laughs) Well, and also, I would say that not only was President Trump effective at delivering that message, but there's coordinated messaging with Fox News and other media outlets that support the right. They, They had a very coordinated message that somehow in Missouri, immigration is now the number two concern more than the economy. I think they were effective in in getting that message out. We've had a number of of tweets uh, during the course of the morning here, and Anita, I'll start with you on this, basically saying, how can Missouri voters support medical marijuana, increase the minimum wage, right to work in the past, 
and still vote for conservatives? I think this is a question a lot of people were asking last night and today. Um, it seems to me that a lot of that is probably um, the, the blue-collar vote, right, the labor vote. My dad worked at the Chrysler plant in Fenton, so um, I, I picture those folks who are going to vote, come out and vote against right to work, even if they no longer are employed by a union. They, so they might be feeling that hard time with the economy, feeling a bit disenfranchised, but still come out for those sorts of issues. But there's that conservative uh, values, so the social values drive it. And I think that Trump's message really resonates there, too. So that alignment with the National Party that overlooks. So some of the uh, exit polling I saw was that Josh Hawley was about equally trusted on protecting pre-existing conditions as Claire McCaskill. And that's not maybe evidence based on policy, but I think it's a connection with the person. Like, I believe this person. And so I think that there's been personalities that resonate with those folks that drive maybe the candidates versus the issues. I, I think there's a simpler explanation. A lot of the ballot initiatives you mentioned didn't have robust organized opposition. Good point. Um, mm -hmm. There was one, Clean Missouri, which did have organized opposition, but even the, the opponents said, would, uh, would concede it was fractious and disorganized opposition. And it was going up against a very cleverly crafted proposal that emphasized ethics-related changes and not necessarily the what many feel was the impetus, which is basically to overhaul state legislative redistricting. And and I would also push back against people who say medical marijuana is a Democratic issue. We've seen a lot of Republicans, including a lot of Republicans in the legislature, embrace the legalization of marijuana for medicinal use. It their version of it passed the Missouri House, which is very Republican. And, you know, I think that's just kind of a sign that there is growing acceptance of using marijuana for medicinal use. I don't think we're quite there yet for recreational use. Ask me again in 30 or 40 years, maybe we'll get to that point. <laughs> we have a, a number of callers who want to get into the conversation. Let's bring some in and then move on to some other subjects. We'll start uh, with a call from Raul calling from uh, St. Louis. Go ahead, Raul. Uh, yeah, Don. So I was listening uh, to you all earlier in the broadcast when um, Joe Manis, she brought up about what was going on and what wasn't covered and what Josh Hawley didn't speak to. And this is true. Um, although I am a Democratic voter, I lean to, to not Republican, but conservative issues because I don't want crime in my community. You know, I moved here from New York City uh, 22 years ago. I came with my three sons saying, I, I want my sons in that environment. I want my sons growing up in a safer environment with opportunities for education advancement. But this is the thing. Josh Hawley didn't speak to the greater minority community. He was only speaking to issues of well, Missouri, yeah, the Missouri way, yeah, the way we've always done it. But that uh, that wasn't good for minorities. You know, he wasn't speaking to the broader community. Missouri's a big state, and there are a lot of issues. There are a lot of issues downstate that aren't upstate. There are a lot of issues on the two coasts of the state that aren't going on in the middle of the state. You have to speak to everybody. And I think Claire McCaskill did herself a disservice on Fox. She did herself a disservice by not being true to the things that got her reelected in the past. All right, Raul, I think we have the point. We'll get some response to that. Thank you very much for your call, Joe. Yeah, I think I agree with, I agree with that. Now, I want to be fair. Whether she appeared on Fox or not, she still would have lost yesterday. 
Um, but yeah, I think that that is going to be one of the challenges for Holly, who's a very nice man, by the way. He was on our Politically Speaking podcast several times, has always answered questions until the last couple of days of the campaign. He's always been open to reporters. So the issue is going to be, does he reach out to some of these voters who didn't vote for him and who he did not try to appeal to during the campaign? Or does he stick with the familiar, the base who brought him. I think that's going to be, and he's got six years. So, right. I mean, it's going to depend what happens. And the caller brought up a really excellent point. You know, you can you can just spend all of your time in Washington just kind of on the cause celebrity thing of the day, or you could actually deal with the huge problems the state has. I mentioned poverty, both in rural and urban Missouri, immense problem. I understand government can't do everything to solve that, but obviously, Josh Hawley could play a big role in that. Education, even though education is primarily a local function, we have dramatic education problems in St. Louis and to some extent Kansas City that he could potentially play a leadership or convening role if he really wanted to. I know someone like Roy Blunt, who does kind of have ambitions of leadership, has been pretty hands-on on a lot of localized issues, even behind the scenes. Maybe he could follow Senator Blunt's example there, because I, I, I've heard anecdotes, too, that he has reached out to the black community on a lot of issues, just as Kip on did. Well, and I think the caller made another good point is that it doesn't matter where you live in Missouri. You want to be safe. You want your kids to have a good education. So those issues cut across those boundaries, whether they're ideological or geographical. And, and if we could reach all Missourians with those. We have another caller here. Let's bring uh, Deanna in. She's calling from St. Louis. Uh, Deanna, go ahead. Hi. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, yeah. Um, I wanted to uh, touch on uh, one of the uh, uh, speakers continually bring, uh, brings up the issue of, you know, the poverty in rural and um, in rural Missouri as opposed to the poverty and the poverty in um, urban environments. And he also brought up um, the issues of urban and uh, rural populations. And I would like to say, because it gets mentioned in national media all the time, but they equate it with like coastal issues versus middle America. When the action, when I believe, because I've lived in Minnesota and Illinois and Missouri, that the issue is more of a rural versus urban lifestyle and expectations. Yeah, no, thank you uh, for the call. No, that's a really good. That's a really important point to make, and I'm glad. I'm glad that I'm glad that the caller made that point. Yeah. All I, right. I don't have anything more to add to that, but continue, Don. Okay, let's let's move on to a, a couple of other big events yesterday. There's so much to talk about, but I do want to bring in the question of what uh, what happened in Illinois yesterday. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I think we went on the air at 7 o'clock last night in 7, 7.01. <laughs> the, right. the Illinois governor's race, uh, governor's race was over. Let's begin by listening to the man who won that race, J.B. Prisker, who was uh, the Democrat and who was the governor-elect of Illinois. Let's hear what he had to say. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so grateful tonight to all of you in this room and those watching at home. Voting is I love you too. Voting is an act of optimism that the levers of our democracy still work 
You embody that optimism. You light the beacon fire on the hill of history that signals from one generation to another that these are the things that we stand and fight for. J.B. Pritzker, the governor-elect of Illinois. Um, I saw you uh, rolling your eyes, Jason. Hold that (laughs) thought, though, for a moment. We have to take a break, but you can uh, calm yourself down and react to that in a moment. Sure. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Welcome back to our post-mortem on yesterday's political story, the midterm elections. With me in studio, Anita Mannion of the, Saint Lu- of, uh, the University of Missouri-St. Louis, Jason Rosenbaum and Joe Manis, political reporters here at uh, St. Louis Public Radio. Okay, Jason, it's your turn. Uh, you're, you are ready and primed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm from Illinois, and I have deep Illinois values, which includes, like, going to jail, obviously. Um <laughs> And only I, the governor. You've, you've never gone to jail. I've never gone to jail, but you know our governors have many of them. Bipartisan. Uh, <laughs> yes, Republican I, I, and Democrat. Look, Bruce Rauner's administration was a disaster. I knew he was going to lose by a lot, and I'm not defending his his ineptitude politically, which was vast. But when I hear J.B. Pritzker talk about the beacon of democracy when that race was two jillionaires basically self-funding their campaign to lead a state that's functionally bankrupt, I, I can't help but be cynical. And I guess I take it a little bit more personally because I'm from Illinois and I really do love the state and its people. But I, I don't think anyone can look at that governor's race and say, let's let's make that the type of race we want in America. Because if that's the case, then somebody who is not, again, a jillionaire is not going to be able to become a governor of a major state. And I don't think that that race was was good for democracy. I know that there's nothing you can do about it because Joe will remind me the Supreme Court like made it so you, you can't stop self-funding. But mm-hmm. that, that, I, I just I guess I just have to just politely disagree with the future governor of Illinois saying, you know, this was a ratification of, of the democratic values. I, I actually think it was very troubling in many respects. Yeah, yeah I, I, I get where Jason's coming from there because, yeah, I think you look at it in a broader national level, although most of the candidates who won or lost yesterday were not jillionaires. Um, still, some of the major players were. Some of the major victors were. I mean, you look at Florida. Um, so... I think that there will be some soul-searching among people in both parties. Is this where you want to go, where someone who's running for president has to be a billionaire uh, in order to self-fund so they don't have to report their donations? and Or is it going to be something else? And I think that that's something that the public's going to have to grapple with. And frankly, I'm not sure if they want to, and especially if they think the economy's doing okay. And they're like, well, just let it go. But eventually, eventually, trouble happens and you got to deal with it. Because people who are billionaires, even if they're self-made, their lives are different than yours and mine. 
Anita, do you want to continue this piling on? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I'll I'll take it a little easy. I think that they've already uh, made uh, good points on that. But, yeah, I mean, we've seen it from the president on down, this this trend. And I, I think that... As long as, as Joe said, as long as the maybe the budget gets balanced in Illinois, maybe state workers get paid, then they're not going to be fired up. And we hear a lot of talk about dark money, but that doesn't really encompass the idea of self-funding. So where do those lines get drawn? Yeah. Yeah. We, ha- we have a caller from Afton who may be addressing this. I'm not sure exactly what Tom is going to tell us, but let's bring him in and find out. You're on the air, Tom. Go ahead. Yes, in one of uh, uh, Hawley's ads, he said that our way of life is under threat, and I think that's a direct quote. And I never could figure out just what about our way of life is under threat. Like, what does he mean by way of life when he says that? And under threat from whom? Uh, Hollywood liberals or Black Lives Matter or uh, Latino immigrants? Uh, I've I've studied academically um, Germany in the 30s, and that is exactly the kind of rhetoric that they used then. And uh, you know, is this really what, where he's coming from, or was that just campaign speak? I'd Tom, like to hear what your guests think. Tom, Joe, another dog whistle? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm not going to get into what anybody meant, mm-hmm. but I'm a big history buff, and I know what the gentleman is talking about. I want to emphasize, I'm not accusing uh, Senator-elect Hawley of meaning certain things. I'm just saying that people who hear it may interpret it a certain way. And I've already said... My piece on that. Well, we've all talked to a, a number of people who have told us that that's what they're hearing when they hear things like this. Mm-hmm. So it's not a question of our putting thoughts into or interpreting someone else's thoughts. And I think that's a lot of the same rhetoric that President Trump has used, and it's been effective, oh. right? So, But that drives folks. Unfortunately, uh, the economy, if you're feeling comfortable, that might not get you off your couch and get you out to vote. Mm-hmm. But if you're nervous about invaders at the border, if you're nervous about your way of life being under threat, then maybe that gets you out to vote. Mm. Let's change the subject a little bit. I'd like to talk uh, about Amendment 1. Yeah. Uh, that's the so-called gerrymandering amendment. Clean Missouri. Clean Missouri, and it deals with ethical issues as well. Let's focus on the gerrymandering. Is 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 this really going to change anything? Does anybody have a strong feeling about yeah, that? Uh, and neither you, you, good. Well, I I don't, you know, what will change is the courts won't be drawing the district. So I think that's going to be the biggest change. But you still won't have an elected official doing it. You'll have an appointed person. So um, the parameters that the state demographer has to use say partisan fairness is at the highest in competitive districts and, you know, honoring uh, the Voting Rights Act. So I think it will change districts. But I don't know that people are going to be any happier in the end. No, and I think that, you know, the proponents of Clean Missouri never really showed what these districts are going to look like. So it kind of left a lot up to the imagination and interpretation. I think as I kind of alluded to earlier, yes, there is language aimed at protecting minority representation, but that did not stop a lot of African-American elected officials and political leaders from opposing Clean Missouri because they fear that in order to create competitive districts in the St. Louis area, you're going to have to connect North St. Louis County with West County or St. Charles. And there's really no other way to get to those goals without doing that. And, you know, I, I think that stems from a historic distrust among a lot of black Democrats and white Democrats, especially here. You look at someone like Lacey Clay, who's who opposed Clean Missouri, and his opposition 
which was pri- uh, which it was emphasized was to the redistricting part, not to the ethical stuff, really stemmed back from the battles his father had 30 and 40 years ago mm-hmm. trying to maintain an African-American majority in the first congressional district, which I should emphasize congressional <laughs> districts are not affected by clean Missouri. But that historical tension, I think, led to a lot of African-Americans or not maybe a lot, but some notable mm-hmm. African-American elected officials opposing it. I don't think that this debate is over. I think that the legislature may put something else on the ballot to potentially nullify the redistricting changes, but keep the ethical changes. I actually talked with House Speaker Elijah Hart today, and he basically told me that there's going to be discussions among Republicans and African-American Democrats about possibly putting something else before voters. Yeah, because I mean, look at this in broader uh, context. Uh, the General Assembly has had a history for the last 20 years of trying to change whatever has been passed on the ballot if the majority, and it's generally been Republican, but not always, um, have opposed it. So Now, aside from the legitimate uh, issues about the uh, redistricting part, there's also the political part. And I think that um, I would not be surprised if there's something put on it because on the 2020 ballot because the 2020 vote is the last one before redistricting. Mm-hmm. So Republicans, who have always done a better job, I think, of thinking ahead and getting their ducks in a row so they can control the redistricting process in the state, which they have done for the last 20 years, um, I think they're going to be doing something to try to uh, get voters. Again, they're going to be appealing particularly to the rural voters, but in this case they can also to appeal to African-American Democrats who are wary about this to try to get some changes on the 2020 ballot, which will then affect redistricting in 2021. And, and not to get too much down the redistricting rabbit hole, because it can be uh, a fun <laughs> thing to go on. It, it, the thing that has bothered me, again, as an Illinois native about this debate is there is intense gerrymandering by Illinois Democrats on the congressional and state legislative level. And there's this national movement that's kind of run by progressive Democratic groups to eliminate, quote unquote, gerrymandering. And there has been no effort that I've seen on the Democratic side to change the system in Illinois, which signals to me that this national movement I just mentioned is not really against gerrymandering. It's against Republican gerrymandering. And there are certainly people who want to get rid of all gerrymandering and want to change Illinois system. But just the lack of emphasis on gerrymandering in Illinois that I've seen nationally and the emphasis to try to stamp it out in Republican-held states really makes me a little bit cynical and skeptical about this entire movement. I think that's a fair criticism. And I think that another issue is it's not just gerrymandering that creates these non-competitive districts. It's our own self-sorting. Yes. So how are we going to overcome that? Just draw, like you said, districts that go from St. Louis City to West County and Little Snakes to make us be together in different ways? Is anybody doing it right? Do we know of any state in which uh, they figured this out to any degree? Well, there's Iowa, I think, has worked on some things to try to, but, but, and part of their thing is to make things contiguous. But there's been a few states, but it, but there's also been some failures. Redistricting is intensely political. I don't think a system like Iowa could work in Missouri because Iowa doesn't have a significant minority population. Yes, I was just going to say that. So I don't think you can just take a computer and make competitive districts that way without taking the minority populations into effect. And even clean Missouri did take minority uh, representation into effect. And you could have a situation where they basically leave African-American majority districts alone and that, in turn, kind of makes it challenging to, to create some of these competitive districts. Um, we're going to have to really watch if this system stays in place. 
to see who the demographer is and what they end up doing. Yeah. We have uh, an email from John talking about ballot uh, issues. John uh, in West County writes, could one of the reasons the gas tax proposition failed be because most of the money went to the police instead of the roads? I, this issue was raised a lot during yes. the campaign. Yes. Yeah. I, I think that that, I mean, I've been hearing that that was probably the reason. I think that they had to do it that way. And the mindset was you, you give it to the highway patrol mm-hmm. and then you free up money for transportation projects elsewhere. But I just don't think that that nuance really trickled down to average voters. And I think it's a big missed opportunity because regardless of where you are on that issue, I think it's pretty clear Missouri roads and bridges need a lot more money and they're not getting it. And Missouri's gas tax has long been one of the nation's lowest. I'm not going to get in what the provisions are good or bad, but that's a fact. Just like Missouri's tobacco tax has been the lowest in the country for Ages, and there's no push to change that. No, but a tax is a tax is a tax. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You've got it. <laughs> Although for some proponents people... of uh, Prop D would say it's a user fee, not a tax. Uh-huh. Although, you know, I don't think the average person can but, really and, tell the and difference. And see, this <laughs> is what's interesting because I haven't, I haven't looked on the, um, uh, at the numbers on, on, that, on how Prop D did in the different counties, but I predict that it was probably the rural counties yeah. They killed it, and these are the same rural counties that then voted uh, the Republican way as far as Holly and some other stuff. But we have another email here, and it's already been alluded to, the fact that we really need a lot of work done on our roads and bridges. Is the legislature ever going to wake up and try to find some money to do this? But it, it's not the legislature's <laughs> right. responsibility. It's the voters. If you want more money for roads— it's going to probably require some sort of tax increase. I'm sorry to cut you off. Well, that's where the legislature comes in. I'm sorry, go ahead. The legislature passed this, right? But you can't enact a tax in Missouri without the voters approving it. Exactly. (laughs) And the the legislature has passed some tax cuts in the last five years. So the state's um, budget is under further strain. So in order for them to have money for roads, they've got to ask the voters to approve extra money for roads because the state budget don't have it. Okay. Time is running out. I want to get to uh, Steve Stenger, and I'm going to shoot at you, (laughs) Jason, because I know you're very familiar with the county politics. Even though I've only Uh, lived there for less than a year. But, yeah, go ahead, Don. He won big yesterday. I guess all the county's problems are Well, not that big. Not that big. It was under 60. Yes, he gets to be county executive for another term. I would not say he won big because those propositions passed, and one in particular will substantially hamstring his financial and budgetary authority. That had been one of the hallmarks of being county executive, that they had all this power over departments and the budget. I think that, I mean, when it's all said and done, Stanger's legacy may just be how much less power county executive has. And he now has a seven to zero council against him. I, I mean, it, I, I mean, being county executive is a great position politically, but I'm not sure I would want to be in his position come January. Anita, you're shaking your head as if you agree with Jason. I, I do. <laughs> I, I wouldn't call Steve Singer a resounding victory, right? And, uh, you know, he, the primary race was very tight. He won this one, but but obviously he has lost power for the county executive, not only for his term, so he's hamstringing himself for his term, but for future county executives. So I, I think that, as you said, that will be his legacy. Well, one of the things that passed was to set up a new uh, charter commission to discuss the county charter. So I think that would be 
interesting because the county charter, just so people know, okay, aside from giving the county executive lots of powers, it was drawn up by Republicans. Right. I mean, this is several decades mm -hmm. ago. Yeah. So you're going to see a lot of, there's going to be a lot of give and take on this, a lot of maneuvering on this, because the county council, which is at war with Stinger, is predominantly Democratic, as is Stinger. So this just <laughs> goes to show that party identification doesn't always mean it's a kumbaya well, well, I, I know we're running low on time, but one quick thing that also happened in the county, they approved the zoo tax. Right. And, Good point. And I, I've said this before, even though I have strong opinions about uh, surrounding counties not paying, I love the St. Louis Zoo, and I'm, I, 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 as a St. Louis resident with two small children, been looking forward to that North County breeding facility and safari park. <laughs> Out of the minute we have left, what was with Stanger staying home last night and, and kind of keeping away from uh, the media? Well, I mean— Is this part of, the, part of the issue? The general election was not as active as the Democratic primary. Uh, Paul Berry did actually get a lot of money near the end from uh, Fred Sauer. He's a Republican. And, um, but— I would say that once Mark Montavani lost, that race was kind of not in doubt for the general, and it played a more low-key level. Um, it was not 2014, to, to put it mildly. Well, Stanger isn't closely, I mean, regardless of what one thinks of him, um, he's not closely tied to a lot of other Democrats. So it could have been that maybe he didn't, Haskell may not have wanted her him at her party, and she and he may not have wanted to be there because they probably both knew she might lose. I mean, in other words, it might have been better just to sit at TV with his beautiful two young children and his wife and just kind of cool out. Yeah. Oh, what a tangled <laughs> web we weave, Joe. That's right. We've got to end it right there. I want right. to thank you. Anita Manning, thank you for being with us. Absolutely. Great having a chance thank to you. meet you and talk with you. Jason, always good to see you. Thank you for being with us. And thank Joe Manis. Uh, thank you as well. You guys both look very tired. I've had a rough, rough uh, several weeks and months. But thank you for being with us. That's it for today. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.